0: Today's reading is 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, you can uh, head to the lobby and find your... Teachers, the rest of you may be seated. Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. Uh, happy Father's Day. I know it's been said before. Happy Father's Day again. Happy Juneteenth as well. There is, yes. All right. Applause. Uh, there is a lot going on, huh? It's summertime. Kids are home. So much joy. <laughs> and we are concluding our series on the story of Scripture today. We started, what, a few months ago now. I think we had a few breaks, but we talked about how God created everything good, right? The first chapter of the story is creation. We talked about how sin has distorted every good aspect of, of God's good creation, the fall. Um, Daniel incredibly preached from Genesis 12 all the way, what, through uh, the book of John, basically, on the story of Israel and Jesus. I talked about the church, uh, and then we talked about this idea of the new heavens and new earth, and I, um, at least from my perspective in Daniel's, the highlight of that was hearing from you guys hearing you guys talk about your imaginations of what would it look like to have a fully restored relationship with God, a fully restored relationship with one another, fully restored relationship with creation, with self, with systems and structures, with every aspect of life. And that, that was just really, really rich. Thank you guys for sharing that. The video was great. And then hearing a few responses from you guys, we asked, hey, share with us some of the things you guys shared about your imagination of what this could look like. we're we're really worshipful as well so thank you for that so so now we're coming to the end right and and the question this is what we're going to talk about today so what we have this story so what what do we do with it is it enough to just think about it is it enough to just memorize it even so what what is the so what of this biblical story why does it matter Why would it be one of the three things when we went away and we came back with the triangle? Why would story be one of those top three things that we want to focus on as a church? Story, formation, mission. Why is story so important? Why does it matter and what do we do with it? Well, we would say the scripture is authoritative, right? It has an authority over our life. uh, That it gives shape and meaning to all of life. It helps us understand. It becomes our worldview, the lens through which we view life and how we understand the story matters deeply to how we live out that story, right? If you guys can remember all the way back, I started this series by asking the question, is the church, are the, in, throughout history, heroes or villains? Are we heroes or villains? We see the church do incredible things throughout history, We see the church start institutions like foster care and adoption, uh, schools, education, the university system, libraries, public parks, abolition of slavery. We also see the church use the Bible to justify things like the Crusades, things like slavery, things like oppression of other people, right? All of these horrible things throughout our history. The argument that I made is how we understand the story actually This determines where we land on this question, heroes or villains. Throughout history, it's been both. We have to acknowledge that. Our goal is not to be villains. We want to try to get the story right. So I'm going to present a few different ways to think about the story today. That's why I have the whiteboard. I used to be a teacher, so this is like bringing me back, back in the day. Yeah, there's a teacher over there who's really happy for teachers. Thank you. Uh, And this is fresh from Amazon. These are uh, large whiteboard markers. So if you're on the live stream, I'm praying that you can see this. I'm gonna try to write big. We did, we were overwhelmed with emails. uh, As you guys saw my art on the slides, emails were like, this guy is an artist, can you do it live? So you asked and I answered. Uh, So we're gonna do a condensed version of the story, right? We're gonna use four acts. The first one you guys know is creation, right? God made everything here good. So here's a down arrow for creation. We know that sin has distorted every good aspect of God's creation. So there's the X for sin. Uh, we know that God started this long plan of redemption through uh, Adam, uh, Abraham and his family, which turned into Israel. And this is ultimately fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So we have creation, fall, redemption. And we know that Jesus will come back and make all things new. He's in the process of restoring and reconciling all things, and that will be fulfilled when Jesus reconciles heaven and earth in the new heavens, the new Jerusalem, when that comes. And so one of the ways I want to think about this story is actually sharing a bit of my story. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church. I had no uh, experience with this story whatsoever. The only only taste of Christianity I had was uh, through a character called Flanders on The Simpsons. Simpsons fans, um, which was not a good picture of what Christianity is, by and large. Uh, but then in, in, around the end of junior high, early high school, um, moved in with my dad and my stepmom, and they sent me to youth group. And I had no idea what was going on other than um, we played football before, before it started, and that was fun, and there were cute girls there. So as an eighth grader, like, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, but I began to hear this story, this story of the world, this true story, how they would describe Scripture, how they would communicate the gospel. And uh, this is not just indicative of this church, but a large movement in church history has told a story that um, doesn't emphasize evenly every aspect. Every chapter of the story, now that church has actually grown a lot in their communication of the gospel, but when I was there, I don't mean to like downplay anyone, the story was a little bit different. It didn't actually start with God created everything good. The story I heard started with, you're a sinner, and if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? You're a sinner, and even your righteous acts are like filthy rags, you're a sinner, and Jonathan Edwards says that we're like a, a spider dangling over the candle, right like this whole it started with this with sin. That was the first chapter of the story that I heard as a junior high and high school kid, right We've all sinned. Is this biblically true? Yes, this is just where the story started. And, and so the problem is sin, and the answer was was Jesus, right? You're a sinner. If you die tonight and you don't know Jesus, you're going to spend eternity in hell um, And all you need to do is say a prayer and believe a few things, right? You say the sinner's prayer, you're at camp and you come down the aisle and you write the date on the bookmark or whatever the thing is, right? You're a sinner, you say a prayer, and then, you know, you float away to like fluffy heaven and you turn into like a baby with the diaper and the harp like that, right? That's the story, right? That's the whole story. So what's really, really important in this story? Well, that you know the right things and you say the right things. This isn't the full story, and and if you notice, there's some things missing, right? There's some things missing. So one of the ways that uh, we like to refer to this is this is the armless gospel. So what happens in this version of the story is we highlight the things that we think we have the right doctrine and the things that we say. Think about if you were armless, right? You could think a lot and you could talk a lot, but you're limited in what you can do. So what's really, really important is are you reading the right books, Do you have the right doctrine in theology? Careful, we don't wanna be too influenced by those people who think the wrong way or talk the wrong way. What's really, really, really important is that we know the right things, we say the right things, we pray the right things. Now, is this, it's not that this is biblically inaccurate. It's just not the full story. And so there's going to be gaps. Does that make sense? There's going to be some gaps. Maybe some of you, this is familiar in your experience of church. Okay, so get into high school, you know, do the thing at the camp, say the prayer, right? Really like, you know, start doing the the Bible things that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm reading my Bible. I'm learning the right things to think. I'm saying the right things, you know? And and so in this framework, it was like, I started playing football, but then it's like, you don't want to waste your time with football. Because everything on earth, is just going to burn up anyways. Why invest in football? You know what you should really do? Quit playing football, and then you start the Christian club during your lunch hour. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because what we do doesn't actually matter as much as what we think and what we say. So if I can meet with people and tell them the right things to think and say the right things so that they start saying the right things, that's what is actually important. Everything else is frivolous. So why play football in high school? So that's what I did, right? And and so we're thinking the right things and we're saying the right things and I'm saying things that I think are the right things. Like when my sophomore English teacher told me that, yes, she reads the Bible every year and she reads the Quran and the Book of Mormon and some Buddhist teachings. And I told her in front of the class, you're gonna go to hell. (laughs) I was a great evangelist, not overly effective, but passionate nonetheless. Because it was all about what you think and what you say. Okay, so then I get to college, and I go to a a good Bible college that had a fundamentalist perspective that agreed with this story. It told the same story, and I learned a whole lot of things to think, during the course of my time there, things started to feel like they didn't make sense, like, and now this is, it it was a Canadian Bible school in Saskatchewan, (laughs) which is, like, north of North Dakota, so just, right, like, I grew up in the Bay Area, and now I'm north of North Dakota, like, it was cold. And um, I learned a lot of things, and there were a lot of rules, because rules help you know what to think and, and what to say, right? So there were rules like you couldn't listen to secular music, you couldn't watch secular movies, you couldn't watch secular TV shows, uh, unless you had permission, you could, you could ask permission. So this is a true story. My freshman year of Bible college, it's uh, I think finals in my first semester, And we're up late studying, and it's guys in the dorm, and and it's late, and we're like, we just, like, our brains are exhausted. We just want to watch a movie, right? So now this is a Bible college. So, like, what movies do we have? Somebody brought Prince of Egypt. Remember Prince of Egypt? Okay. We watched Prince of Egypt without prior authorization and got in trouble. (laughs) We watched the story about Moses at Bible college, a cartoon about Moses, and got in trouble. That's how, like, rigid it was, Right? So, so it was all about thinking that the right things, doing the right thing, right? It's, it's very structured, very rigid. But then they would do this event called Youthquake, where they would invite youth from all over Canada so that they could come know Jesus. Now, when youth from all over Canada come, because it's all about what you think and what you say, then by any means necessary, you try to get them to think the right things and say the right things about Jesus. So now there's secular music everywhere. People are dancing People were dancing because that's what youth do, right? Youth listen to secular music and they dance. So when they're here, we're going to do this because that could win them for Jesus. Which created confusion for me because I'm like, well, why can't we do it when they're here to try to get them to think the right things? But then like when they leave, we're not supposed to do it anymore because it's wrong. Like this is confusing for me. And so um, because of a number, a series of events, by the time I graduated Bible college, this is like a really bad plug for the school. I wasn't even really walking with Jesus anymore, if I'm honest. I had no desire to be in ministry. Um, it all felt really like thin to me. I knew a lot of the right things. I had no interest in living any of it. My parents normally watch the live stream. I'm sure they're, if they're watching, they're like, yep, that's right. We prayed for them during those years. They were scary years. Parents, there's hope. <laughs> so, so this was the story. And, and I struggled with this story. After Bible college, I went to work for the YMCA in Oakland, California. I was a, a preschool teacher. And in those years in Oakland, California, in my classroom, I had a four and five year old classroom. Every student that I had, every four and five year old had a family member who had been murdered. It was a a pretty rough area. There was a lot of things going on. And I looked at this story and I couldn't make sense of the world around me. So then I started to hear another story. I got invited to go to this mission trip down to Ecuador, and it was was incredible because a lot of the things that I was wrestling with was like, I don't understand how this story makes sense with the poverty that I'm experiencing, that my students are experiencing, with the violence and crime that my students are experiencing. I don't know how this story makes sense in this context. It doesn't speak to these bigger issues that people are facing in their everyday life. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. How do I work with this story? So then I started to hear a different story with some of the different theologians that I started reading, and they started talking about how, like, no, 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 God made everything good, right? So the physical creation, it matters. The daily stuff of life really, really matters. And things aren't the way they're supposed to be. There's brokenness, stuff's messed up. But, you know, we gotta work really hard. And when we work really hard, we know that eventually at the end of the story, like, everything's going to be all right. It's going to get better. It's going to be good. But it's really important that we do the things. So we go on the trips, right? And we address poverty. And we address food insecurity. And we take up the causes. And we get involved with, like, acts of justice. Because this is the embodiment of who God is. Is this accurate? Yes. Yes. Is this a full story? Oh. It's really, really, like, yeah, like, come to church, things like, yeah, 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 yeah. But who you vote for, that's what really matters. How you get involved in your neighborhood, in your community, how you sell yourself out for justice, it's about justice. People need to see justice. If they don't see justice, they'll never come to faith in God. But here's the deal, as the first story was armless, we notice that there's something missing from this story. It's heartless. It skips over the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is not just things aren't the way they ought to be. The heart of the gospel also says that we sin, that sin is real through my choices, through your choices, through our choices collectively. Yes, it includes if I don't think the right things or say the right things. It also includes systems and structures. It also includes injustice, systemic injustice, and it includes personal immorality. If we don't have that part of the message, this isn't the full story. Because that part of the message tells us we need something more than food programs, we need a savior. We need something more than community organization. Does this mean we don't need community organization? No, we're not saying that. What we're saying is we need more, not less. We need a Savior who can save us from our sins and our sins. We need a Savior who can empower us and fill us with the Spirit so that we do not continue to sin, so that we are no longer dead in our transgressions so that we can embody hope, so that we're not just glorified social workers who are trying to do good things. Should we try to do good things? Yes. Should we work towards justice? Yes. Is that the full story? No. As much as the armless gospel is not the full story, the heartless gospel is not the full story. We need the full story. The full story values every movement of Scripture. This is why we say it helps, it helps give shape and meaning to all of life because now we can begin to think biblically through the lens of the whole story as we think about how do we live out our faith. How do we live out our faith? One of the things I love that you guys say around, that we say around here all the time, is Christ in all of life. And you're serious. You're serious about it. Does all of life include singing on Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. And going to work on Monday. Does, does all of life include being quiet and silent in prayer? Yes, absolutely. And being quiet and watching a good movie, reading a good book. Christ in all of life, every sphere of life. So what do we mean by that? Or how can we, this story help us with that? By the way, the first story would be like the fundamentalist movement. The second story would be like more liberation theology, right? Like social gospel. But when we bring them together, we can kind of see the fullness of this just to name those things. Um, Because typically, depending on where you land, we all like to beat up one or the other. And pretend like the one that makes us the most comfortable gets all of it right. (laughs) But unfortunately, the gospel is the better story. It calls out those idols that we love to feel comforted by and tells us that they don't tell the full story, only Jesus does. So as we begin to think through this story, my beautiful art, um, we can begin to think through any kind of thing, right? Julie was up here talking about the great work they're doing in Vietnam with a coffee shop. So let's talk about coffee. What is the creational good of coffee? Well, God created all the plants. Coffee beans come from a plant, right? So this is part of God's good creation. Coffee, I don't know about you guys, but at least for me, is delicious. When I feel sleepy in the morning, coffee gives me energy. All of these are creational goods. You think about the different ways different cultures interact with a coffee bean. You can have drip coffee, you can have pour over, you can have French press, you can have espresso now we make all of the fancy, like, you know, Frappuccino, Macchiato, right? Like, there's all of these different ways that people can take a simple coffee bean and create. It's beautiful. Okay, so there's creational good in coffee. How is the fall distorted coffee? Well, we have addiction. We have people who need their buzz in the morning, and we drink more and more and more of coffee, and we don't really get concerned about, like, what the caffeine does to our hearts and, you know, those kinds of things. There's a way that the sin has distorted coffee in um, unjust trade practices. Developing countries being exploited economically. It's bigger than just my individual choice, but it includes my individual choice. How can we see the gospel in coffee? Well, a coffee bean is, I don't know, I should have researched the process, right? I didn't know I was going to (laughs) use coffee until I heard you. But I know that it's like heated up and ground down and given for others. The body of the being is broken for the empowerment of others. I can see some people, it's starting to click. <laughs> the body of Jesus was broken down for you so that you could have life. People use that language like, I cannot live without my coffee. What will coffee be like in the new heavens and new earth? I don't know, but I can guess. It won't have harmful effects on my heart. We'll be able to taste the purest coffee fresh from Guatemala or Vietnam or wherever else people grow coffee in the world. Uh, imagine the, the, the creative expressions of coffee that we haven't even thought of yet that we can enjoy with Jesus. Think about that. You talk, you talk about like my morning cup of coffee, my Bible so I can have my time with Jesus. What will it be like to literally have your morning coffee with Jesus? Oh. Folgers would taste great give me a break, right? So it's silly, right? It's coffee, but I've had experiences frequenting the same coffee shop over and over and over and getting to know some of the baristas there and being able to say things like, thank you so much for the important work that you do. And they're like, I make coffee. Like, yes, and think about how much of life functions better because of your coffee. The surgeon that was able to focus more. The lawyer that was able to see the thing that really helped their client. The teacher that was able to creatively engage their classroom. The drivers who did not fall asleep and get into accidents. Like very real things of life. Continue and are sustained because of the good work of the local barista. It's beautiful. It's an opportunity to share faith. It's an opportunity to think missionally as people go to places like Vietnam. How can we invite some of those overlooked by society, um, people with disabilities to learn a trade, to serve, to steward coffee well for the sake of the gospel? This helps us see Christ in all of life. I don't want to take a ton of time. Like we can do this with so many examples, right? We can do this uh, so... I'll tell a story, how about that? Um, We love to use this. Uh, We don't do it every time, but like when we watch movies with our kids, we'll ask some questions around these things. Where do you see God in this story? What lies were told? Any images of Jesus here? How do you think this story would be told in the new heavens and new earth? So we do this thing where we like to show our kids movies that we loved growing up, and one of the movies that Aaron um, showed our boys was... um, all Dogs Go to Heaven. You guys know this movie? Okay. Erin and I had different childhoods. I didn't watch All Dogs <laughs> Go to Heaven, uh, but she did. And so we get to the end of the movie, and you know we're just kinda asking, what do you guys think? You know, what was good? What was, what was off? You know, We'll ask that, like, what, what wasn't true? And Micah goes, well, the end of the movie. We're like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, he like, walked up cloud stairs to heaven, and that's not what heaven's gonna be like. Like, oh, interesting, tell me more. Yeah, no, 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 Jesus comes down. We don't go up, Jesus comes down. There's a a, a renewed earth, right? He didn't say renewed earth, but Jesus is gonna make it perfect. Their question is always like, will there be dinosaurs? (laughs) Like, I don't know, I hope so until I watch these Jurassic Park movies, maybe not. But so we start this conversation with Micah, thinking not in this language, but through the biblical story, And he begins to ask questions like, well, who is in heaven and who is not? How do you get into heaven? Which leads to him praying that Jesus would come into his heart and that he would be obedient and all of these things. In that moment, because of a cheesy 90s cartoon. It's not about the cheesy 90s cartoon, it's about how we engage the cheesy 90s cartoon. Now, we've tried this hundreds of times. Most of the times it flopped. You just got the best story that we have as a family. But the point is to stoke the imagination, right? As we started talking with staff around this, uh, about this, it was around the time of the Super Bowl. So we talked through the Super Bowl, through this grid of the biblical story. We just had the NBA Finals. You guys know where I grew up. As a Warriors fan, we just had the NBA Finals. Coincidentally, my boys started playing basketball. And so we can think through, what's the, how do we think about basketball? Oh, there's so much creational good in basketball. You think of the ways that people can steward their bodies well to play a game. You think of the intensity that it takes to run down the court on a fast break, but still have the presence of mind to gently throw a layup. You think of the creativity that you see. If you guys are interested in this, I just watched the ESPN 30 for 30 on the and one mixtapes phenomenal, seriously phenomenal. The creativity displayed in these communities and how they approach the game of basketball, it's beautiful to watch, absolutely beautiful. Side note, how was the fall distorted basketball? Well, you look at performance-enhancing drugs, you talk about corruption in, in some of these systems, injury, idolatry, how some dads approach their sons playing or daughters playing this sport, Right? How this becomes the thing, not a good thing, but the only thing. Where can we see Jesus in basketball? I was joking around during mic check, but you think of a player or it's like Steph Curry or a team like the Warriors. One of the things they're constantly praised for is the selfless nature with which they play basketball. Steph Curry could take a shot, but he passes. Over and over again, you see the selflessness of allowing a teammate to shine. Is that not what Jesus does? Jesus tells us, we'll do greater works than him. I've never walked on water. Jesus gives his spirit to empower his followers. What will basketball look like in the new heavens and new earth? Man, I don't know, but this is what I do know. We can finally settle the goat debate. (laughs) Who is the greatest of all time? Now there's some assumptions here, right? This is like not hard and fast theology, but just imagine with me, what would it be like to watch prime Michael Jordan one-on-one against prime LeBron James? We can end the debate finally. Beautiful, the best basketball players you've never heard of because they got injured when they were in eighth grade and never reached their full potential, can reach their full potential. What will that game look like? You talk about a God who works through the least of these? Imagine that. The people who would have made Michael Jordan look like a chump, but they were injured, they didn't have access to the same resources or opportunities, an all-star game of those people. How fun would that be to celebrate together the beautiful aspects of God's good gift of basketball? And you can go on and on, right? Any type of thing, some of the ways that we've used this in the past, I've mentioned thinking through movies, thinking through novels as we do book clubs, talking through this grid. One of the things that's really, really challenging but can be helpful is with people you trust, I started with that, and you disagree with politically. Imagine that small group. Hey, tell me about the creational good of the candidate you agree with. Hey, for the candidate you agree with, how would you name how sin has distorted their platform. How do you see Jesus in them? What would this look like in the new heavens and new earth? What would that platform look like? Now I gotta do it with the one that I think is right, right? Oh, the list for creational good is so long, but now I have to name how I think the fall has distorted them as well. This makes it really, really hard to label those I disagree with as an idiot. I have to acknowledge that they just, you know, aren't bent on the destruction of my country, right? but they've actually come from a place of like intelligence and thinking through things and maybe seeing scripture differently, maybe valuing other parts of the story that I need to pay attention to. This doesn't mean we're going to vote for the same person. This means we're going to interact with each other like Christians. This means that my idolatry is challenged. That things may need to be repented of so that I can more accurately, more biblically, more genuinely follow Jesus, not the story of the right or left. Now it's hard, right? Like it would be really easy if you just plug all the things in and it's like vote for this person, live here, spend money on this thing, not that thing, send your kids to this school. It doesn't do that, but it helps us start to think biblically. It helps us engage culture really in all of life. You think about this, we've talked about coffee, we've talked about basketball, we've talked about political candidates, we've talked about engaging the arts. We've used forms of this to talk through like, are our kids going to public school, private school, charter school? This really can help us engage all of life because we're thinking through the lens of the biblical story. So this is like the heart behind this series is that we would become more familiar with the story so that we could use it more faithfully. Because something else will happen, right? Like there's gonna be another thing culturally that's gonna cause the big unrest and everyone's gonna have their take on things and then it's gonna get divided and then we're gonna think that that thing is so important that decades of relationship can just be thrown away and we're gonna do the same thing that the rest of the you know, culture and country does unless we take a different approach. And what if that approach was thinking through what scripture says? how scripture teaches us to live, coming together and having biblical conversation, not only emotional conversation. What if there's ways as God is leading us forward in ABCD as we start thinking through different communities, how can we step in and serve? How can we identify the creational good in this neighborhood? How has the fall distorted it? Where do we see images of Jesus in this neighborhood? How can we be images of Jesus in this neighborhood. What would this neighborhood look like in the new heavens and earth? new earth? What will it look like? What if we can start pressing towards that now? What are the creative ways we can communicate the gospel, not just in a generic sense, but in like a handcrafted sense for this neighborhood, for this particular school, for this particular person? Like the barista, like Micah watching all dogs go to heaven. This helps us view the world biblically, right? This isn't the only model. This is just one. Hopefully, it's helpful. But so what do you, what do, you do with this, right? What do you do with this series? So we've, we've talked about all the things. We've, we've talked about biblical worldview and ways to engage culture and all of this. And so how do, you, how do you conclude the sermon, right? Conclude the sermon series. And as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I think that there's two, two things we need to hear. Um. For some of us, we've made the gospel all about us. And we need to hear that it's much bigger than that. It's not that it doesn't include you, but it's much bigger than you. Jesus is reconciling all things. Is he a personal savior? Yes. And he's a cosmic savior. Now, don't get into like weird, whatever. It means cosmic in the sense of all things. He's reconciling all of the brokenness in creation, right? The line, as far as the curse is found, as far as sin has distorted, his grace is bigger than that. And for some of us, we love that. We love the big, we love the abstract, we love the national and the cultural because that makes it really, really easy for me as an individual and I need to hear that this gospel, that this story is individual as well. Yes, it includes the systemic injustice, and it includes my injustice. It includes my anger, my lust, my pride, my greed, my jealousy, my whatever your sin is that you keep going back to and keep going back to and keep going back to. It includes that as well. Yes, it includes the things that we need to be corrected of and we need to be rebuked for. And it includes those personal areas of deep hurt and exhaustion and longing. The story includes that as well. It's not only a story of a different way to behave in the world. It's a story of deep love. Love for all of creation, which includes individuals, which includes you no matter what the morning you (laughs) had was. My morning was crazy just to be honest, right? My, my family's going on a trip, trying to help them get out the door. It was nuts, trying to wrangle the two boys and get them, you know, hopefully not losing their minds as mom's driving. And I'm, I'm like, I got half my mind on the sermon and I'm trying to get ready and all of this stuff. And it's that classic moment of like, dad, one last hug. And I turn and the coffee goes, right? Like, Awesome, now I'll change before I go to, to, to work. That's, that's good. It's exactly what I wanted to do. (laughs) And in the midst of my distraction and thinking about all different kinds of things and worrying about them and wanting to do a good job here, the gospel still speaks to that. Jesus is still present. I can pray with friends right up here and feel the peace of God. Those things that I knew I should not do this week, the tones I took with my kids because I knew it would coerce them into doing what I wanted them to do, rather than taking the time to parent them, it includes forgiveness for that. There's a better example of a loving father on Father's Day, our eternal father who loves us, and is patient and kind with us, and sees us and knows every hair or lack of them on our heads. We Talk about the gift of, of Juneteenth of freedom for all of our fellow citizens. Serve sort of a God who gave his son, not just for our freedom, not just for the freedom of the people in our nation, but for the opportunity for freedom of all people in all places who would put their faith in him. This allows us to reimagine how we view the world. See those areas that we need to hear the gospel for ourselves and those areas where the Spirit is calling us to communicate verbally and through our actions the, the gospel to those around us. This is a good story. It's a beautiful story. And no matter where we are, Scripture tells us it's a true story. That this is, it communicates how the world started, what's wrong with the world. What's the answer to that and the trajectory of where we're going? In church, it gives us hope. It gives us hope because we understand there is brokenness and Jesus is coming. Things are not the way they ought to be and the Spirit empowers us to show a different story. Spirit gives us one another as the church to speak that gospel to each other when we need to hear it, when we forget it. Spirit invites us to pray with one another like we'll do, to take communion with one another, to be reminded of this story. The story hinges on one thing, Jesus. And he gives us these simple elements, bread or crackers and juice or wine, to remind us of who he is and who we are. He is the loving God who gave himself for us and invites us into the table, invites us into relationship with him, invites us to acknowledge our sin, that we are not perfect. And as much as we try to make ourselves perfect and each other perfect, we can't. We fall short, we need a savior. And that's the free gift of God. So let me pray, and then we'll talk about doing communion together. Father, you're good. And there are times when I don't want to follow this story because I have to admit that I'm selfish. I prefer my own comfort. But at the end of the day, Lord, you are present. And you're powerful. And you move. You move through the pages of your word. You, you move through your spirit. You move through your people speaking truth to one another. And Lord, we ask that you would just continue moving. Lord, we thank you that you continually speak. Even as I'm up here speaking, I can feel you speaking to me. Speaking your words of love and hope and restoration. The invitation to repent of sin. Lord, I thank you that you never once call us to be perfect. You just call us to follow you. Lord, we know in a room this size there may be people who have not yet put their faith in you and we thank you that you give opportunities and today is an opportunity. So would you stir people even now to put their hope and faith in you, to come back to you, to hear your words of love and realize they don't have to continue to work for approval. Lord, are the areas of sin that you would call us to repent of? Make those clear. And Lord, as your spirit is moving, help us to trust. Those aren't just strange, random thoughts, but that is actually your presence at work. And we thank you that you are at work amongst us. We thank you that we get to respond, Lord, that we get to sing, we get to take communion, we get to continue to to be together and, and to be with one another and to experience your goodness through one another. And so, Jesus, would you make us a church that is formed by your word, by your story? Would you help us to think biblically, to be guided and empowered by your spirit? Would you give us opportunities to display your gospel in the work that you call us to, in the neighborhoods you've called us to live, in the families that you've called us to, and amongst the friends uh, that you've blessed us with? Would you give us opportunities to share who you are and what your kingdom is like? We pray these things in your name. Amen.